Mike, I've already been writing my best man speech. I know. I st- I know. That's why I thought this was stupid. The cops like, Mike, is asking me. I'm like, I don't know. No, Kelsey, because he, we kind of are on an understanding there. No, it She's wasn't like, an understanding. Mike, you, you looked at me in your car and I you know. said the words, will you be my best man? <laughs> Kelsey's like, <laughs> Mike, uh, will you marry me? <laughs> what? Hello everyone, and welcome back to Talking During the Movie, the show where two jackoffs talk about new movies and movie news. I'm James. I'm Mike. And this is episode 89, Mike and James Need Wedding Dates. I was I was kind of hoping we would just keep it going. I was like, and I'm Mike, and we need wedding dates. And we need wedding dates. <laughs> So if it's the bad trailer for this episode, then yes. (laughs) (laughs) Mike and James are just a couple of bumbling podcast hosts who seem to have it all. (laughs) No more of that. No more. Um, Yeah. So just for a bit of personal context, uh, I'm I'm getting married in a few months. And so the closer we get to... Uh, September, the more and more we will incorporate nuptial-themed movie titles uh, into our podcast. Yes, yeah, and I've I've already been preparing my best man speech. Come to find out that uh, to one party in the wedding, I wasn't even officially best man yet. Apparently, it's a ritual. All right, so in fact, you're not even official right now. You see, we have to uh, do a whole blood ritual, um, summon a couple of demons uh it gets pretty intense i just want to make sure you're prepped for it so. no i'm totally i'm totally prepped uh, Go you gotta be prepped for my my killer speech it's totally gonna happen um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna make you choose between before i start i make you choose between a, a a speech in a green envelope and a speech in a yellow envelope and that'll make sense to you in about a week oh god okay <laughs> uh, as long as the speech whatever one i pick can you just make sure they both include the phrase, we will we will wed on the beachfronts, we will wed on the... I actually don't know any of the fucking words. <laughs> no, but at the end of the speech, I am going to end it with, you know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving. You've been on stage for 15 minutes. You They're going to have to bring in a SWAT team of the National Guard, because I ain't going nowhere. It's going to be great. I'm gonna, Mike, I'm gonna destroy your wedding, Mike. You, you remember when I was looking for a managing editor, <laughs> and I chose you because I believe in you. I believe in all of you. I fucking love you, James. I fucking love you too. No. Uh, this wedding's gonna be lit. Oh, this, this is gonna suck ass. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's gonna be terrible. Don't if you're invited to Mike's wedding, don't show up. It's gonna be a disaster. As long as we have no more than three casualties, I'll consider it a grand success. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on in movie podcast related news, yeah. um, we are gonna be reviewing Black Panther today, and we had a plan <laughs> to review a couple other movies, but Black that plan is gone. I've never heard of it. But what now? Black what? I've never heard of it. Black Panther. Um, and we had a plan to review some other movies, but that plan is gone. And no, instead, we're going to we're gonna improv 
we're, we're going to do a completely unplanned segment. Well, okay, that's not true. We planned to do this last year and didn't, and now we're doing it this year for this year's movies. It's the Mike and James Awards. I'm really excited. James found this document of fake Oscars. They're not even, you know what? They're alternative Oscars. Yeah, they're the, a, they're, they're, they should be awards. The unconventional awards. Yeah, the things that the Oscars wouldn't think to award a film for, but that kind of go underappreciated and that we feel obliged to present to you, our listeners. Yeah, and the fun part about these is I haven't even thought of all the ones that I'm going to nope. choose. Nope, not at all. Because you, we, basically, uh, you know what? We value transparency on this podcast. Um, we basically, we're scrambling for shit to do, and we were going to to make up for the time chunk that we were going to devote to one of the two movies that I so dutifully neglected to watch. Um, and we were going to do a really boring and traditional, you know, who's going to win the Oscars, which... Go look at the fucking guilds if you if you want to know who's going to win the Oscars. All right, and yes, I know La La Land won the guild last year and then didn't win Best Picture. I I don't. It was course correction. I I stand firm. It would have won if there hadn't been a an Oscar so white backlash. Anyway, regardless, um, regardless. So we're gonna do something a little more interesting. Yeah, I was as I said, I, I looked for these in my computer, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's still here!" I'm doing it, and it, now we're starting. But I feel like we should start with Black Panther. Yeah. No. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Let's do it. It's the film to. It's. It's the film to talk about in a part of the year where there's almost never a film to talk about. That's true. Yeah. Last year there was split. And Get Out were really yeah, the it, two big ones. That's true, and I mean to be fair, Get Out, Get Out propelled itself into like basically movie history at this point by like you know topping every single critics list known to man, um, getting unprecedented acclaim on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> still holds the number four spot, I believe, for all time best reviewed film of all time. Um, so, you know, fair enough. I guess I, uh, February gave us our most acclaimed film of last year. So, hey, I right on. And I'm actually getting some interesting echoes of that, uh, just in terms of the public response, uh, <laughs> a, a passionate, uh, you know, public embrace of a film. Um, I'm getting that kind of same vibe with Black Panther this year. And we'll we'll have to see, man. I'm kind of curious how far it's gonna go. Yeah, I mean, look, and uh, when I saw Get Out, I, I I didn't even entertain the question of this if this would show up at the Oscars. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if if one of us made a joke about it and then laughed it off like that. Possibly, yeah. Like that that would it's it was a horror movie that came out in February or March. Like, give me a break. It's yeah. not going to happen. It was also it was a film about race that dared to frame itself as anything other than a narrative about slavery or the civil rights movement. Or, yeah, like, or any sort of historical drama. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, just based on precedent. Yeah. No. Sorry, Oscar's not interested. Um, but here we are. Dead wrong. Yeah. Um, 
and so Black Panther might be that might be that movie next year. I'm just saying, you know, if it, if something is going to, if they're like, I don't know. It, this is, I mean, first and foremost, I feel like this is the superhero film that is most likely to have a place in, uh, like the discussions of movie historians, like 20 or 30 years from now as both a reflection of the times we're living in and also something that kind of changed it, you know, that, that, that kind of, you know, reoriented our thinking about what role superhero movies serve culturally. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, uh, that makes it really hard to talk about in the now other than just to say um this movie kicks ass <laughs> it's <laughs> it's really fun and uh, funny and well written and i i loved it i, I really enjoyed the film what it, i just i front loading our opinions so we can get into discussion i feel is is okay no, it's it's important it's not uh, to yeah. dance around it <laughs> yeah so uh i I really, I, I, I dug it and, um, yeah, think it's a, I, I, I mean, even just on a, completely taking it out of its cultural context on a technical filmmaking level, I think it fixes a lot of problems I've had with Marvel films, not necessarily the last couple, cause I think they've gotten progressively stronger. Um, but just traditionally kind of the the marvel mold um including like a a nigh incomprehensible blur of a third act um and you know terrible villains unmotivated um generic looking special effects i i feel like this film amended or evaded a lot of those issues that i've had with previous marvel films so um yeah that's just my my quick two second blurb um how did you feel about Black Panther, James? I, d- I definitely loved its uh, visuals. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and performances and characters are sort of like beyond reproach. The thing is, I just I can't help but feel that I'm not going to remember much about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, exa- I can't put my finger on exactly why that is. You know, it's just like I've I've walked out of a lot of superhero movies and felt really like, uh, impressed is a multifaceted word because uh, I was definitely impressed by this movie, but I don't feel like it made an impression, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, no, it, it makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's, a, I, there's a few reasons for that, and maybe as we talk about it more, I'll be able to articulate it um, better. But it's still, it, too, I think too much of it felt by the numbers, even though it also was able to subvert on several occasions. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I think that there are elements and moments of this film that just, I do think were like transcendent moments. I think that they stood out, but you're, it, it is in service ultimately to a pretty, I mean, it's a, objectively from a from as an as an arc of a story it is a it it uses the marvel formula it uses it to engage with 
much darker and more interesting thematic material than I think a lot of Marvel movies in the past have done. Um, it's just, I think, I, I think maybe what, what might've underwhelmed you in that respect might simply be the fact that this wasn't doing anything on a, on a level of plot construction. It's not doing anything, you know, that challenges the superhero mold too much. I think it just, yeah. And maybe that's using that, using that to explore the idea of, race and an approach to conquering, you know, to, um, how am I going to phrase this to sort of what the solution is for, uh, you know, amending the oppression of black people. I mean, using it to tell that story, I think is revolutionary. Well, that's true. Respect, it's, yeah. And that's why I'm probably I'm, a, I'm of two minds about it because I definitely yeah. recognize all that and I think it's important um, that we have a superhero movie that does that. At the same time, I, I still remember I remember the moment in the in the movie where I was sitting in the theater and I'm like, oh, this is the all is lost moment. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And that's when it sort of dawned on me and I'm like, this is kind of formulaic. Oh, I mean, it is. I think just the the service like what it is in service of is primarily this revolutionary. And when I say like moments stick out to me, I'm thinking like Killmonger, which by the way, I mean, kudos to uh, Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler for making a character named Killmonger <laughs> somehow into the most nuanced and I think best, you know, well act, most well acted Marvel villain maybe ever, at least in recent memory. <laughs> um, but like you know his final lines in the film in the film where he i'm paraphrasing but essentially he says you know bury you know throw me into the ocean uh so i can you know lay with my ancestors who yeah he says my ancestors knew that who jumped off the boat and would rather die than live a life of servitude something to to i'm paraphrasing but align to that effect yeah he said his ancestors knew that it was better to die than live in bondage in bondage which honest to god like just hearing that line in a disney superhero film like just kind of stopped me cold (laughs) yeah um and and look in this movie it isn't really afraid to ask the hard questions i was honestly worried it was going to be because the the opening of this movie is is kind of like it's it's uncomfortably cartoony where i'm just like oh no, see, Africa is okay. There's this, there's this wonderful like super village that has everything you could possibly want. Right. And, I, and the whole time in this opening, I'm just thinking, like, are they not going to like help like Any the rest of, of the, fucking Africa? Uh, yeah, or it, yeah. And that's what I was saying. Like, I was worried it, it that the movie wasn't going to ask those questions and wasn't going to go there. Just prefer that you didn't think about it. And I was dead wrong. And I I love that it did that, that it went there and actually had brought in this Killmonger character to challenge that idea and say, hey, you know, this isn't right. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not a so I haven't read the um, any of the Black Panther comics. No, so I don't either. know. If I, know this, I know fuck all about that. Story right. I only, I only bring that up because like I don't know if they actually address this in the in any of the plot lines in the in the comics. But I know that this is a, a criticism that has been lobbed at the Black Panther comics in the past, which is essentially like, yeah, it's really cool that you're constructing this Afrofuturist society. You're, you're, you know, incorporating all this 
great imagery that um, you know that black artists have used in the past, and it's it's really empowering. But also, what are you doing to engage with the real life strife and oppression that black people around the world, and particular, you know, and especially impoverished communities in Africa face? Um, by basically saying like, yeah, well, we're all, you know, we have this super high tech, um, you know, utopian society, um, that is completely isolated. So screw everyone else. Sorry. Um, you know, how are you addressing that? And I don't know if they ever have in the comics or if Killmonger is even, you know, has the same motivation or a similar plot line or if they pulled that, you know, from anything but i think the idea of turning that sort of fundamental criticism of black panther into essentially a an antagonistic force in the film really helped make it i mean i think that's what helped make it my favorite marvel villain because while ultimately like you know i don't think there's any defending Killmonger's pathology. Although some people have, apparently there are shirts that say Killmonger was right. Um, <laughs> but you can complete, you can sympathize with his point of view and understand why he feels the way he does. Well, and, and I it, liked it too. It's very clearly they're going for a similar dynamic, if not the same, between you know, well, well I'll just say it, um, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, whether or uh-huh. not. What it's it's it centers on what role violence should play in a revolution, right? You know, should there be a violent uprising, or is there another way? Yeah, um, and also taking this out of history and back into comics. Sorry, but um, <laughs> Professor X and Magneto, which were actually inspired by the differing philosophies of MLK and Martin, and uh, yeah, they were. So you know, this has a this has a basis in, in Marvel beforehand, but. Yeah, I mean, that's how you make a strong villain. And considering that pretty much the universal complaint with most Marvel films up to this point has been a weak villain. And like even if even a, a, a you know, a Marvel film like Spider-Man Homecoming, which I actually thought did a pretty good job of, you know, developing its villain. Yeah. I wouldn't. It's it doesn't have that like integral connection to the to the hero that. Killmonger and T'Challa have here like they have this kind of like they're they're opposing but also they're like kind of integral they're com- they, they they're they're entwined in a discourse which is what makes the conflict between them that much more interesting um uh, what else they're like t- little touches like so little touches like for example when um Killmonger visits the is it the land of the ancestors or the uh, um, ancestral plane ancestral plane thank you yes. and you're you're you know you're you're stripped of black paint your powers and then you go to this ancestral plane where you basically come to terms with your forefathers mm-hmm. and um they set up the scene really really interestingly because t'challa does this earlier in the film he takes the serum and he wakes up in this really beautiful looking African plain. And there's this, you know, the sky is like this, this violet. Um, it's, you know, kind of your, you know, the kind of representation of a spirit world you, you've seen in media before there's a tree filled with black Panthers and, and they transform into his ancestors and he speaks to them. Um, I found it really 
interesting and beautiful that when Killmonger d- does this, he ends up back in a you know little his little dingy apartment from when he was a kid in in California in in mm-hmm. Southern California, Los Angeles or uh, wherever. Impoverished California. Impoverished California. And, um, you know, kind of returning to this scene where he found his father dead and really having to reckon with with that. I mean, that had, it reminded me of that scene in, um, sorry to always bring up this film, but Spider-Man 2. No, where, you know, Peter's reflecting on the choices he's made and, and how to go forward. And no, you're right. You're just not helping the stereotypes. <laughs> what? Of of talking during the movie. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. Um, and, uh, you know, he's he's conflicted about whether to continue going forward and being Spider-Man and doing the right thing. And he has a conversation with his dead uncle. And they have this sort of quasi spiritual conversation in the exact same car where they last interacted wearing the same clothes. And it's just like this otherworldly like limbo version of the last place that they ever saw each other. Mm-hmm. And that both moments are just like, so I don't know. I feel like, it, traditionally in a film like this, you don't get anything that like, if you, if you're kind of thinking of, you know, the spiritual and the, the, the metaphysical, you're not really thinking of anything as, as mundane as a, a shitty apartment or a dingy little car. Like, and I, I don't know something about the, you know, something about setting these like touching moments there in like these really humble locations and applying this metaphysical imagery to it was just, I don't know, it struck a chord for me. It was really beautiful. So touches like that, I think, made this uh, much more than, you know, your by-the-numbers superhero film. Also, just technically, I think that this film, I, I think they, that it managed to actually pull off and execute successfully interesting action scenes and somehow not fall apart in its third act. (laughs) Despite, despite the fact that it does kind of explode and branch off into like, you know, there's a fight going on in the planes. There's a fight going on underneath the, uh, underneath the, the earth in sort of the guts of, of, um, There's a fight on the beaches. There's a fight on the landing. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of like in the guts of Wakanda, you know? Um, And somehow I never, like, I never felt lost or disoriented. I never felt like I didn't know what was going on or who was fighting who or what the motivation was. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. In, in, In that respect, it kind of, it's kind of a perfection of all the things that a Marvel film in the past is they feel like they've been trying to work their way toward. Um, so I, I, fair enough. If, if it didn't necessarily like, you know, become the, the maverick superhero film that changed the game. But 
I do think that if anything, it's a it's it's just a perfection of the form, and it did so at the most you know it, it, it at the most critical juncture where it would benefit you know just the, the fact that you know a, you know a black you know a black kid can now see this movie and you know you feel like they have some sort of representation in this like enormous cultural <laughs> phenomenon is definitely something we're celebrating oh yeah and that's what i said this movie is important and it's good and you know even great i just uh and and maybe uh, you know i'm i'm boy i'm maybe my criticism does come down to plot which isn't really ever the strongest but that said i if it, I don't know when I look when I hear about this movie as like ultra subversive, uh, then my instinct is to compare it to the most recent movie, I could, superhero movie, I could think to call subversive, and that's Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. And when you put those on a subversive scale, one of them comically outweighs the other. And that's it's why maybe it's just like it's a matter of ex- it was a matter of expectations for me, and I'm willing to admit to that. Boil that boiling my complaints down to plot is not a strong criticism, and I'm also saying that you know, I agree with with pretty much everything you've said, and you know I, I don't think don't need to add to it too much. It's it's an important movie. I love that they uh, added that they you know recreated that uh, conflict um, you know between a, a violent and nonviolent uprising, and. Uh, so the performances were awesome, and it was visually stunning. And uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that's my takeaway. I think that's I think that's a fair point. Um, I just I'm gonna fall back on like my old conviction that a perfection of conventional storytelling is nothing to be chided at or to be dismissed. Um, I do think that there has been some hyperbole. <laughs> I, I think that's probably putting it a little lightly. Well, and that's uh, really all, to, um, all I'm film. saying is I, that I, I do really like the movie. I just, uh, you know, if we're talking about this as, as like 2018's, you know, get out, I'm kind of nah, not, not really there yet. Yeah. And yeah, that's true. I mean, one of my uh, favorite writers right now, uh, he's a, actually, a, <laughs> I don't read much genre fiction, but his work's great. It's Patrick Rothfuss, who wrote The Name of the Wind and you know, The King Killer Chronicles. Um, got me to actually get into a fantasy book. And he was tweeting about how basically he, you know, it's the best movie, he thinks it's the best movie he's seen in a recent memory and maybe ever, but he can't tell, he, he can't really uh, say it for sure yet because he just saw it and he needs to give it some time. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I agree. The movie's great. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, you, I know, and obviously feelings about it are going to, uh, you know, evolve and morph over time and it's going to take on new meaning. I know for a goddamn fact, I am never going to consider this the, best movie i've ever seen in my life and you just need to calm the hell down <laughs> even in recent memory like listen if, even in if recent this came memory, out in 2017 it wouldn't make my top 10 i'll tell you that right now yeah yeah now i mean fair enough and to but to be fair like that shouldn't be 
it shouldn't have to be either. Yeah, it's not all or nothing. You shouldn't right? have to either dismiss it or put it on that high of a put it on that high of, of a platform. It's there's there's room in the middle. There's nuance. And that's really where I am. I don't I don't want to sound too too dismissive or too anti Black Panther because I'm definitely not. I just uh, it, I, and I guess I'm more reacting to the reaction, which it's makes tricky. Me because, a member yeah. of the internet. It's tricky because that's kind of the point where you have to, if you're going to take anything other than a totally laudatory stance toward the film, you kind of have to address it. It's true. Yeah. So no, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. For me, it was. I mean, I mean, yeah. And I, I don't. The funny thing, I don't really disagree with anything you're saying either. I think I just overall didn't feel like it needed to be much more than. I, I, I don't know. T- to me, being as well executed of a of a film as it was, conventional as the plot was, um, and applying that streamlined storytelling to the trickier thematic subject matter of, of, of race and, and racial oppression across the world. And, and, you know, seeing a, you know, a, a, a fictional fantasy, utopian African, uh, you know, Afrofuturistic culture that actually incorporates real elements of different uh, tribes and cultures around Africa and, you know, feels primarily driven by black voices or just voices. Of, I mean, that, that in and of itself was a cool, you know, refreshing and revolutionary enough experience for me where I was invigorated by it but also I, I see what you're saying. It's not, it, it doesn't take the, it doesn't reinvent the wheel with the superhero movie in a way that I think a lot of response has ascribed to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that pretty much sums it up. So yeah, cool. Um, can uh, can I just shout out the, yeah, uh, the action sequence in the uh, uh, I believe it's the first major action sequence in the film in the uh, in the club, which takes place primarily in one take, uh, at least while it's still inside the club. It was just really cool. It was. Lots, I liked it a lot. Lots, lots of moving elements. The the cash flying down, uh, raining on the people in the club was a uh, was it was a nice flourish to finish it off. I don't know. And Ryan, Ryan Coogler is just a, uh, he, I, I feel like he knows how to operate really well in like mainstream franchise spheres where like <laughs> he can, he can flex his muscles and have fun and not make it seem like he's being too, uh, too restricted by studio control while at the same time I'm making films that are sound like, structurally sound and you know you know streamlined enough to appeal to a mainstream audience one thing i did think worked against the black panther and this this again this is sort of you know on a on a plot basis um but man 
Find me one fucking person, one person who believed that the Black Panther was dead when he fell off the, the waterfall. Oh my god! And and <laughs> whoa, I guess this franchise is over. Yeah, like come on, like I hated that they even did well, that. Well, see, it, it was, I, I hated that they. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I didn't like they did it. I also didn't like that it was. I mean, it was a good 15 minutes or Until something. you saw him alive, yeah. Until you even saw him again, yeah. Like, like, like give they, me if, a if break. They, if they did it and then dispensed with it like five minutes, they're like, oh, he, he's alive. He's, he's, not <laughs> dead. he's not dead. He's not dead, yeah. Like, all right, fine. Yeah, fine, whatever. It, it, it would have been bad enough like that they even – that they even teased it but yeah no i i agree that was probably the weakest stretch of the film and unfortunately it stretched not an in not a an insignificant amount of time i will say though that i saw where it was going and then i didn't because i was like oh i get it because he's he it's either yielding or dying and he didn't yield yet uh so, and I guess they still do technically use this as the tribe does, but he brings it up and I expected it to be like, oh, okay, now he's going to have to have another, another fight. And, and the kill mugs just like, no, fuck that. <laughs> Don't freeze. <laughs> he freezes a lot. I never freeze. I never freeze. And then you understand he's, uh, they literally have to embalm him in snow later. See? Ah, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. well, uh, that's probably my piece on on Black Panther. Um, I'm still gonna watch like uh, any any and every Ryan Coogler oh. movie that comes out. And oh, absolutely. Until also, until he proves me otherwise. Right. Also, I think Forrest Whitaker's. If you see him in a Disney movie from now on, and this is going to be a minor spoiler. <laughs> His role in any Disney movie now is to die for the cause. Yeah. Like, just shows up, is a vague source of, of wisdom and guidance, and then and dies then for dies the cause. at the first <laughs> opportunity. Kind of like how Kevin Costner's sole role in movies now is just being the shittiest father imaginable. <laughs> yeah. He's never great. I'll say that. Well, he's uh no, no he's not. If you if you build it, he will still psychologically abuse you. <laughs> and tell Superman that he should let a bus of kids die. Maybe. Maybe. No. No. How about <laughs> not maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm like Jesus. We've come a long way from with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> we sure have, Mike. Jesus. Spider-Man's my everything. Okay, so we are on to the most, the most underproduced and unprepared award the, ceremony the you most will ever be a part of. Ceremony of the last 15 minutes. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen. The Micah James Awards. Make love to me, James. Make love to me.
Ah, so, um, I'll introduce all these awards. Uh, we will talk about them a bit. We don't really have. We we might talk or throw out some uh, some films here and there that we were thinking for this, and you can consider those nominations if you want. Uh, but that's only if you're desperate for structure. Uh, we will award one or more movies for each of these awards, so get ready for that, and then we'll get into it. So. Yeah. Starting from the bottom. Now we're here. I'm gonna kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Starting from the bottom, the Bane Award, which is to say the most quotable line. You know, it's funny because obviously that award title is in reference to the Nolan Bane, but every time you say it, I think of the Schumacher Bane. Bane. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly the most quotable line. And then after that, we'll get to the Just Watch This Part Award, which is for the best scene of the year. Then the uh, Scoot McNary Award, which goes to the uh, best character actor in a side role. Uh, the Punch Drunk Love Award, which is the best performance by a subpar actor. Then we get to the big awards, the big three. The Mike or James Award, which will award the best comedy or horror film. The Captain Le Ship Award, which will go to the best film without a strong director or auteur. That still gets my vote for favorite title. <laughs> and then finally, the big the big award, the big night. The Oscars are bullshit award, which we said will go to the best film that would never in a million years be nominated for best picture. That's right, James. That's right. That's right. And it's going to be Jigsaw. It's not. I mean, it would never be nominated for Best Picture. But it's not the best film that would never be nominated for Best Picture. I'll tell you that for goddamn sure. That's for true. Okay, so, starting at the bottom, now we're here. Uh The Bane Award. Come on. All right, all right. The Bane Award. Um, there were a lot of good, a lot of good uh, contenders for this. I'll say. Yeah, this is one because we we discussed this a bit. We did prep a little bit before mm-hmm. we began, and um, we kind of just ran through each one to see if we even had any ideas to just get a gauge on if this would be at least a sixty percent solid segment. And and yeah, this is one where I think unless you're going to pull something different. I think we have the we, we kind of had the consensus, you know, that we have to go with this one particular line. So I think that this actually might be good to kind of go over some uh, some of our other favorite lines uh, of the year before. Oh yeah, me too. Before we actually do our favorite, because we're we don't want to just be an echo chamber. And definitely one of these, which I'm sorry to say, doesn't win, is uh, the one we say fucking every episode, and that's uh, he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> From Thor Ragnarok. I mean, look, part of this is that I am generally terrible at remembering movie quotes. Like, I can't get word. I can't get the wording right. I'll usually have to watch it at least a couple times before it sticks, and I can just recite it. This one's really simple. It's it's two words. The the most complicated thing is to do the New Zealand accent, but you got to do it for two words, so it's fine. It's just he's dead. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a great one. It's it's quotable in uh, like a lot of different situations. I mean, this year was full of death. <laughs> oh no! So it really was. Um, and then another one we talked about just last week when we reviewed Phantom Thread. This is my 
favorite and I, I don't, it's the, it's the, the fact that it's, it's, it's funny and cathartic and just, it, it sounds great out of context. As, uh, <laughs> it does. It's, it's Daniel Day Lewis's, kiss my girl before I become sick. Yes. <laughs> Which is like the most joyous moment I can remember in a movie in a while. <laughs> just, it's just the mute. He says like the, the tension, you can cut it with a knife. He says that line, everything breaks. They kiss the music crescendos. It's just, it's an amazing moment. Um, and I might be remembering the moment just as well as the line, but I, I do think it's a, it's a wonderful line. That film is full of amazing lines, then including, think, yeah, including, including that one. It, well, including the, uh, you uh, the tea is the tea is leaving the distraction remains here <laughs> oh yeah yeah you're right just i don't know i wonder like i my favorite personally my favorite script of the year i i loved it i loved the dialogue <laughs> i mean we talked about some more conventional ones you know the uh from star wars the last jedi let the past die kill it if you must um i think uh get out uh you know now you're in the sunken place. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's that's got a I, lot of cultural capital going on. I, right now, I, so. I think the I mean, and even I'm I'm actually not sure if that'll be remembered so much as a quote as as it will just like the sunken place will be remembered remembered as a socio racial term to describe to describe racism and and uh, black oppression in America. But either way, it kind of it's a really interesting way to conceive of that both visually and verbally. So, um, yeah, all phenomenal, but, uh, I think we both have a personal, personal favorite. I mean, pretty much as soon as we brought this one up, we're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's the one. (laughs) Yeah. And it's one that I, uh, if I had put any money on it, I would have lost money on, uh, on a bet related to this. (laughs) Um, because James bet me this year after he oh, saw the. Oh, right. Wait, you yeah, did I, lose money on this, what, Mike? Did I, did I actually? I did. You gave me $20 oh, right. in the theater. Right. I like, I stopped. I like, just, I like whipped out a $20 bill from my pocket. It we didn't like, even bet money originally. It was originally a bet that you would have to like make a public Facebook post about it. Be like, got oh, money. <laughs> wow. I, I just, I, okay. This, this line is so good. It made me throw away twenty bucks, but I didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it goes to the big. Oh, you can say it, Mike. I don't care. The big sick. We it's lost nineteen of our best guys. Of our best guys that day. <laughs> yeah, and the only it's... the only resistance that's ever in my mind is that that the line and the joke itself isn't as good without his context but i still oh, have to give it to it i just, oh, I just no, have no. to no it's fine it's like that line like you're right so it's it's not gonna like show up on a list of best movie quotes because it's not a quote it's not necessarily a self-contained quote you need to he's he's i mean at the same time you know some some of the best lines in movies are movie history are the same way you know i'll i'll have what she's having isn't funny by itself that's true good point good point <laughs> yeah but we talked about it definitely with with this one where it's the joke itself is it's i'm not gonna say it's not funny but it's not like 
it's not like bust out laughing in the theater funny without the setup and that's where you think that Kumail is on the on the back foot where he's sort of like he's taken aback and the joke of the scene has already been said and that's like oh his father's his future father-in-law is racially insensitive ha 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 yeah and then he just smacks you in the face with it and it's awesome being that he's he's uh, he's gauging how Kumal and Irani American Pakistani. Pakistani, excuse me. Wow. <laughs> you know what I found out halfway through? You're from Pakistan. <laughs> a Pakistani American. Uh, how he feels about 9 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, I mean, that being the setup of racial insensitivity, going into Kumal's, you know, stunned expressions like, anti 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 9-11 it's like oh good he's like yeah yeah we lost 19 of our best guys <laughs> it's just too good to pass up it, I uh, it totally wins the bane award i think hands down uh bane would be proud um i don't know if bane could deliver it as well though yeah <laughs> uh but yes, no, great, uh, great movie moment, uh, great line, and yes, uh, I, I think it's well deserving of that award uh, from both of us. So, yeah. Um, and you know, how about we just live rename this, rename this segment? Of this, I mean, sorry, this next award and call it sure. the Turkey Baster Award. Oh my God! Why didn't we? I don't know because I wasn't clever and maybe because I made this list last year where I was thinking of giving that this award to the to turkey, turkey baster scene. scene and you didn't want it to be too on the nose. Yes. Um, so let's call it the turkey baster award uh, named after, um, of course, um, don't breathe um, for the best scene. Best scene of 2017. I could think of a lot of good ones. There, uh, like there, we talked about two last week, one of which Molly's game. I think the opening segment was awesome, and also the the poker scene later in the movie, mm-hmm. um, um, where I, where Bill Camp loses to Bad Brad, both barrel monkeys. Oh my for god! Sure. Oh my god! Yeah, and even the we even discussed how like kind of the the blocking and the where that scene was set. I mean, obviously it's in a room, but how the characters are kind of framed out on a balcony kind of puts some subliminal information in your head and kind of adds this tension to the scene, even though nothing ends up ultimately coming of it. It was a great touch that I wasn't actually expecting from a, you know, dialogue heavy writer like Sorkin. So yeah, right. It, it, yeah. So it was the, awesome. You mean the strongest that. moment of the screen was when a character was shutting his fucking mouth. <laughs> um, in any other year, my uh, my pick, and this is not my pick, um, would be the penultimate scene in the Florida Project. I guess it's more like a penultimate sequence. Basically, the Child Protective Services uh, coming to take. Oh me. yeah, um, which I think was just one of the most. Uh, I mean, from the beginning when they first come, because that scene escalates, and part of what's so heartbreaking about that is the escalation. Uh, and Mooney kind of slowly realizing what's happening. There's there's never a moment she just kind of slowly becomes more and more distraught and desperate. Um, and I just like honestly, I just remember almost just like uh, fucking losing it in the theater. It was 
painful and beautiful. Um, I, I felt more sympathy for Haley in that scene than I thought was possible by that point in the movie. Um, and yeah, my qualms with the, I, this doesn't include the last like 30 seconds, which I think are kind of a misstep, but holy shit, that whole sequence. And then her like desperate plea to, um, to her friend whose door she runs knocking to, like, it's just a, one of the most heartbreaking sequences I've ever seen in a movie. So I'll yeah. tell you one, one, uh, scene in a different movie that is really like tugging on my heartstrings to have it give me this award. And that's the, um, the twilight, not actually twilight, the twilight scene in your name. Oh my God. Right? Oh, why did you have to? Oh, Cause now, now I'm doubting our choice, right? <laughs> Cause that seed is so fucking good. <laughs> Just oh, that runs a gamut. God, oh, I love that. You're movie. like you're happy, you're laughing, you're devastated, you're you're sad, and and then optimistic and determined. It's like it's oh. just a, a bundle of emotions, so much in one that it's hard for me not to like just say no, no, fuck it. That's the one. <laughs> You can. I mean, I, I, I didn't even think about it, and that, uh, oh, man, this is just like I'm, I'm having a process. Fuck, man, I'm having, having another. I'm having another one. Um, what is it? Shit, the uh, the scene in uh, Three Billboards, um, where it's like classical music over uh, Sam Rockwell like beating the shit out of. Uh, um, Oh God! Uh, Caleb Landry Jones. Caleb Landry Jones, who seemed to be in everything this year. I just wanted. To, he was in Twin Peaks and Get Out. Obviously, he was in. He was all over the place. No, I like. He's. he's a, I'll say he's a contender for the, our our next award. <laughs> uh yeah, fair enough. Um. And uh, and now having said these last two, the um, the one other one that I was that I think was worth mentioning doesn't even seem like it's a contender, and that's uh, Yoda's scene in, in the Last Jedi. Oh, that's good. Which I still think I, is a really solid scene. It is, and like, I mean, heartwarming. It's the scene that's supposed to bridge this kind of. I mean, I, like the Last Jedi. I don't think it was any, there was anything this malicious that went into it, but I think it was kind of meant to be a bit of a traumatic experience for classic Star Wars fans because you see so much of what you know you loved in the past basically having aged into irrelevance and and basically needing to be continued by a different generation. And this was kind of the movie that made you confront oh a a drunkard haggard like uncaring luke skywalker you know and this was like that scene that kind of it bridged the gap between the old and the new so no i think that's a totally fitting choice i you know i think that it's it's it does pale compared to the other scenes you've mentioned but it's a good it's it's totally worth mentioning um one i wanted to talk about was the the big tearjerker scene in in Coco. The, uh, yes. Which I, I can't help but bring up because I think that is the one scene this year that just caused an uninterrupted flow of tears from me this year. Like uh-huh. I, I just, I just sobbed uncontrollably and 
you know, it's it was you know it's designed to do that. And if if there's if if it pales in comparison to something like the um, your name scene, it's just because I think the your name scene, like you mentioned, has kind of more tonal variance going on. So you're constantly reassessing how you feel, and you're you know it's it's a bit more complicated. The Coco scene is very straightforward, but it's just so beautiful and, and quiet and subdued, and it earns it so well that uh yeah i can't help but, but mentioning it so yeah i think we've had like eight nominees so far it, there um, were so many great scenes this year and i i know that you expressed qualms i i don't think i can take i, I still my favorite scene holds firm um no and i think having talked about it i'm still pretty i'm right there with you so and this is the uh, climactic scene from from phantom thread uh where for a second time uh vicky crepes is uh Alma feeds Daniel Day Lewis's uh, Reynolds. Woodco- Woodcock Reynolds. Uh, sorry, Reynolds I was Woodcock. I, Reynolds Woodcock. Thank you. I always want to remember the full name because it's such a wonderful name. <laughs> Beats him uh, poison mushrooms. Uh, this time served in a particularly delicious looking omelet. <laughs> and it's a scene. And I, it's, I, I'm clearly fixated on this scene because it's also got my line that I uh, mentioned uh, for the previous award, the uh, kiss me, my girl, before I become sick. Um, but the way the entire – part of why I love that line so much is the enti- – like its role of decompressing this tense, incredibly – like. I, if it, it's funny and like, I can't, this scene is so taut and scary and tense and hilarious. Like you want to talk about not knowing how to feel. I constantly <laughs> reassessed how this scene was playing in my head about five times throughout its duration. Um, just from the very beginning when you, you know, you see her preparing his meal and you know what she's up to. But you're constantly trying to think of how much Reynolds knows um, and at what point he's on to her and at what point he's complicit and at what point he's being tricked. And there's very little dialogue um, before. It does more with a lot less than any of these other scenes. That's for yeah. sure. But then it uses, though, it uses every glance. There's an economy to it. Every glance means something different. You can infer different things into it. Alma's lines uh, where her... You know, she finishes lifting the veil, however much he's seen through her game already, and she describes what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and and basically treats it as protocol. And his re- his the the few moments between her revelation and his reaction, where his face is just doing this uh, rainbow of of reactions that I still. I don't know how to quite read it. There's so much ambiguity and 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 tension and and, and joy and humor in that sequence that I, I can't help but but put that as my my favorite scene of the year. The Turkey Baster Award. The Turkey Baster Award. Well deserved. Definitely. All right. Um. Next up, the Scoot McNary Award. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about. Yep. And uh, so this is. Uh, here, let me let, let us explain. Yeah. 
Uh, Scoot McNary. Um, we originally figured him as... Well, I first saw him in uh, Gareth Edwards' Monsters, um, where he is does a largely either bad or, you know... Uh, but she's my boss's daughter! Either bad or just serviceable performance until, like, the very end. <laughs> yeah. Where he just, like... He's like, I'm an actor and you will bow to me. <laughs> and you do... <gasps> <laughs> and then from so, then on he he had these roles that only required him to be in like a scene or two that he just knocked out of the park for example um gone girl where uh he played one of uh one of amy's Rose- former yes amy amy's former uh boyfriends i suppose yeah um so now and and since then he's kind of been in like a lot of different things as just like a just like a character actor along the side who's very good and you're like hey wait I want to know more about him right so the Scoob McNary award is to the best character actor for a side character and you you had a very concrete idea of who yours uh, yours was going to be, and and this is one that I don't really have like a bunch of. I mean, do you have like honorable mentions? I I'm still kind of trying to resolve around one choice. Um. So who you you seem to have a much more solid idea of who to pick than than I did. So. Well, I'm yeah, gonna I mean, let you there go definitely is smaller choices. Caleb Landry Jones, of course, in um. And three billboards, I think did did a great job in in his role. Um, that said, I don't think, and maybe maybe you're gonna maybe you're gonna try to discredit this one. I honestly, I think it's it's perfect, and I think it's Jeff Goldblum and Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> I mean, oh, okay. Okay, I'll I'll say two things. One, this is not what we intended with this award. That's not the kind of performance that I think we had in mind. It's Jeff Goldblum. Well, it didn't have to go to like an unknown actor. Like that's not the. I know. I know. know. On the other hand, James, I will never, ever, as a point of personal pride, (laughs) vote against Jeff Goldblum. So you win. <laughs> no, I mean, I just think he's that, like, he's that present side character who you just sort of remember more than anything else, or as at least as good as anything else. Um, yeah, I mean, and honestly, I cannot believe that character exists in a Disney movie. <laughs> That's very true. He isn't, he's an intergalactic space pimp. <laughs> he is with I a mean, gold robe and a a posse of groupies that he just keeps around him all the time partying yeah like honestly it's amazing how much Thor Ragnarok feels like a Taika Waititi movie that just has a hundred million dollar budget and it's funny too. You, if you read, if you ever read his uh, interview with the New York Times, it's called "The Super Weirdo Behind uh, Thor Ragnarok." It's it's great because partway through, he's like, 
He's like, I, I love it because I haven't figured out that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, Taika Waititi. I, I don't care how you feel. I've seen enough of your shit. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing, Taika Waititi. Come on. <laughs> Come on. You're amazing. Please keep making things forever. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. look, I also think... Oh, it's fine. I I get it. <laughs> no, I mean, I did skip over a few other honorable mentions. I think the, the guy who played the the uh, French soldier in Dunkirk is a really standout per- performance on the side for me. Um, it, it is. What else was he in? What? What else was he in? Oh, it's just... Oh, this is just an award for side... It doesn't have to... Be, I'm sorry. I kind of misinterpreted the, the Scoop McNary uh aspect of oh you this. mean like throughout the whole year yeah gotcha gotcha you know maybe it's, we fine. Could... I, it's fine because my the person i i resolving on basically works either way so it's it's fine i don't need to change anything so. oh who's your person um but i just want to say i agree with the frenchman the the, the french soldier in dunkirk i didn't mean to uh, steal his thunder i just i i miss i misinterpreted the rules <laughs> no and he does he does a lot of like acting with his eyes and with he, he his body language like, it's, it's great no so. so yeah my pick um i actually so to be fair i was <laughs> i was really wanting to uh, this just felt cheap and I wasn't going to do it because we both cannot stop talking about Michael Shannon, but I'm just <laughs> saying he's all over the place and he's always in the most amazing scene stealing supporting roles. He is. So I, uh, but I mean, it's really not fair to call. He's the main antagonist of, I mean, well, really modern of the shape of water. Yeah. Really modernism is the antagonist of the shape of water, but yeah, he is the embodiment. There's, there wasn't, it wasn't really defensible, but I kind of just wanted to give him a shout out because he's great. And he works so hard. He's like the hardest working modern actor I've ever, I, I can, he was in like five movies last year. Plus Waco. Anyway, all right, fine. Well, hey, uh, I mean, yeah, we can we could call it a split award if you want. Uh, no, 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 no. I just this is just a shout out. Um, and actually, also Caleb Landry Jones uh, for for both for his three roles in Get Out, um, uh, Three Billboards, and Twin Peaks. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, all phenomenal. All various pieces of trash in different degrees. Uh, he's really good at playing, <laughs> playing, playing this abhorrent human being. Um, he's not that bad in three billboards, but yeah, three billboards. He's actually like a very sympathetic character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Three billboards. He's actually yeah, by far the most sympathetic. No, my uh, my actual choice though, and this is also a fairly well known actor. Um, I've known him since I've known about him since 2009. Um, it's Michael Stahlberg, um, in particular for his role in Call Me by Your Name as yeah. Elio's father. You know, that's a really good choice. Thank you. Um, I was kind of drawn to him because back because when I thought the Scoop McNary Award was uh, involved a a um, character yeah, like multiple awards <laughs> who kept popping up and shit. I I mean Michael Stahlberg, I, I think like I literally think I saw him in three movies in a row, and it was a little surreal. <laughs> it's like Call Me by Your Name, then The Shape, or no, sorry, it was Shape of Water first, then Call Me by Your Name, and then The Post. 
and yeah. every single one of them. And then he was also, by the way, in this season of Fargo that aired this year. Um, so, mind you, he did four things this this year, and he they were they were all acclaimed films or TV, and he killed every single one of those roles. But ultimately, I had to go with, with Call Me By Your Name, which honestly probably has my favorite side character performance of the year, or one of them. Uh, another one being um, uh, Cyril in uh, The Shape... In, uh, fuck, in oh. Phantom Thread. Um, Man, if Cyril was in The Shape of Water... <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. In Cyril in Phantom Thread. Yeah. Uh, Leslie Manville. Um, but... Uh, uh, Michael Stahlberg had the honor of performing possibly my favorite uh, father-son speech in movie history, uh, one of them at least, um, toward the end of Call Me By Your Name, where he just completely lays bare to Elio about you know, his own experience with love and his, you know, kind of his, it, it doesn't come off as an embittered speech, but it's like a you kind of get the sense of, of him growing uh, a bit inured to passion and emotion over time. And it's just kind of like this little elegy to, to the strong, you know, feelings of youth and just trying to tell him to, you know, keep those passions alive for as long as he can. It's a really touching and subdued scene um, that really showed how great Michael Stahlberg is as a performer, because on paper, and I read that scene before I saw it on paper. I agree with you, James, that it kind of verges into being too saccharine. Um, a on bit, the, screen, yeah. the screen with him performing it, I think it, it, it played just right. Um, obviously that's just kind of a matter of personal taste, but man, it, yeah, that got to me. You're mostly just reminding me that calling by your name also deserved a shout out for best scene for the peach scene, which is really good. And also did a good job of running the gamut of emotions. Hey Mike and hey Mike, what you what did you think about Call Me by Your Name? Uh, I was just peachy. Oh uh, yeah, I really liked the part where you fucked the peach oh. and then almost ate it. It was, just, it was just peachy. Oh really? You talk about the scene where he fucks a peach, are you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Anyway, Michael Michael Stahlberg uh, for for Call Me by Your Name. It's uh. It's my uh, Scoop McNary award. Okay, yeah. we All right, so now we actually can call it a split award. Yeah. All right, the next one. The Punch Drunk Love Award. Mm-hmm. For the best performance by a subpar actor. We believe in comeback stories. We love the underdogs here at Talking to the Movie. So who's the underdog of, of 20... Who was the underdog of 2017? You really Isn't sound like a sports announcer there for a second. Here with the... Uh, <laughs> Cinderella story. Who's the underdog of 2017? A Cinderella story like you've never seen before. But first, a word from our sponsor, Pops Blue Ribbon. <laughs> it's a tie, Dad, actually. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> that was good. That was my favorite part of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, um, you know, there, I actually had... More than one response to this uh, to okay. this award, um, and one I really want to give a good shout out to, and not and maybe I'll get some some um, backlash to this because it's not necessarily that he's a subpar actor, but god damn has he done some subpar roles, and that is Ray Romano. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good so point. I mean, Ray Romano in the Big Sick, he had a really great side role. Oh, and, god. 
uh, and he gave a really good performance in that. that I, I, I feel like I know that character. I also, um, I'm pretty familiar with Ray Romano. It's kind of embarrassing how long it took me to realize it was him, and then how easily I forgot about that it was him after <laughs> I found that out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the thing is, like, this is a guy whose like most prominent film roles have been the Ice Age movies. The Ice Age. <laughs> the Ice Age. <laughs> so, which has not been, you know, the best. So. So yeah, I I don't know how how fair it is to co- to consider him on this list, but honestly, I feel like I just haven't had a good enough opportunity to see what kind of actor he was. Um, I'm really excited to hear your pick, but I'll just go out and say yeah. my pick. The Punch Drunk Love Award uh, for me goes to the actor upon uh, whom the <laughs> Punch Drunk Love Award is named, and it's Adam Sandler in the Meyerowitz stories, and the actor for whom I think none of us ever expected a good role out of ever again. Oh, no, yeah. I was just like, oh, yeah, he did Punch Drug Love, and that's, that's really it. I, I mean, I, I, he was good in Funny People. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was good in Funny People. And there's and look, even in some of his movies, like, he's not the worst, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he really pulls... Anytime he pulls out, like a, like, a good dramatic role, you know, he usually is able to... He usually shows chops, so... And I think in the Meyerowitz story is one of the more underseen and underappreciated movies of the year. Um, he did it again, and I'm really interested to see what. You, oh, you know what? Shit. Hmm. I might have a different pick. Okay. But go on. Well, I'll let you pick yours. Sorry, Adam. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, by the way, wait. I, I, I actually I got the wrong envelope. Uh, 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 Moonlight. You. Got- <laughs> You guys won the Punch Drunk Love Award. <laughs> I, I don't know how, but here. <laughs> no, um, actually, I also just want to say at this moment where you're the one on the uh, on the defending side of a of a Noah Baumbach movie. Not that I'm assailing it at all. I, I actually I saw it too. I thought it was great. Um, know, yeah, and I think it's better than than his last two movies. I'll say. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, my pick. Uh, okay, so depending on your opinions of this actor, you might dispute this. Um, but I think it is defensible that this is an actor who obviously started off doing not good work. Mm-hmm. Um, he, after he grew his wings and branched out a bit, he started working with interesting directors. And doing cool projects, but I still I don't think that uh, he really gave any stuff. He, he really did any stellar work, at least until now. And uh, my pick is Robert Pattinson in Good Time. Oh yeah, you know that's a really good pick. That's I, I, a really I good know, pick. I know some people who would dispute it because I've been hearing like, oh, he's actually pretty good now. Um, and like, yeah, he's worked with Cronenberg and uh, like. He was Salvador Dali, and I, I think he worked with Werner Herzog. But, like, I've never really been that – I've been thoroughly whelmed by his performances. <laughs> They've been serviceable, but, I mean, like, he has just done nothing to – I mean, like, to me, obviously the material he was working with is more interesting. If you're, if you're in a DeLillo book adaptation – 
I'm going to be more engaged and interested than a Twilight movie. But like he wasn't bringing any more to the role. He was still kind of like the stale, like pale, dry, affectless nothing. And I, you know, Cosmopolis was a really fascinating movie, but he was not fascinating to me at all. Holy shit. Good time. Got me to, it just really showed me that he has a dramatic range and that he can get me to sympathize with him and get me engaged and involved and tense right along with him. Um, yeah, I just, this, this came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting him to be this good. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a crowded race this year, but I think that if you can make room for fucking Denzel Washington, uh, no, look, you, you can, say it's a crowded race this year. They, they nominated Denzel Washington and, and fucking Gary Oldman. James, James, Gary Oldman's going to win. No, I know, Mike. I know he's going to win. I know. I know, Mike. I that's know. the year. That's the that's this is welcome to Trump's America, <laughs> where big fat jowly men win Oscars. Uh, uh, no, you don't understand, Mike. It's the movie we need right now because it oh teaches us about leadership. Because, because it gives a speech. Oh, and it's a good speech. It's the best speech. It's a little fascistic, but it's a good speech. A little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so. But hey, I. It is a crowded race. It's not a crowded race. <laughs> Robert Pattinson definitely should have gotten a nomination. Yeah, he was phenomenal, and uh, at yeah. least among these nominees, like God. Oh, I know, and uh, kind of in the same way that like. <laughs> The fact that, and honestly, like it's it's definitely crowded on the uh, best actress front, but uh, and I, I, I'm not doing supporting. It's main actress. I still cannot believe that Vicky Crepes didn't get a nomination for. Yeah, hey, for, look, I think I, um, in best yeah, actor category, um, who else but uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in Stronger? I just saw that for the first time recently, and it's really, really good. And having seen, like, ten minutes of his performance in Okja, I'm also convinced that he got robbed of Best Supporting Actor, but hey, <laughs> that's just the life of... That's just of the Jake life Gill- of Jake Gyllenhaal, right? <laughs> they had, to, they had oh. to find room for Christopher Plummer, a replacement role in All the Money in the World. <laughs> the Oscar goes to Christopher Plummer's CGI ghost in Star Wars <laughs> Return of the Jedi. So I, w- I want to get to... What I think, I mean, I'm wondering if it's my choice because Robert Pattinson is really good. Um, oh. But I think the reason why I'm why I hold that higher than this and why I almost forgot about this role is because I didn't much like the movie in which the performance was in, and that is Vince Vaughn in Brawl and Cell Block Ninety Nine. I did not see it, so I have nothing to add to this at all. Um, okay, yeah, I was what I was wondering if like you were just you were. Wait like, a minute, James. Wait a minute. Fuck you. Wait a minute. That blonde, that bald, hulking monster is Vince Vaughn. Yes. <laughs> what the shit? I've yeah, seen his picture a million times. Yeah, like on Critics Top Ten was, and other things. Yeah. I didn't know that was Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, like. His performance is really good. Like, and 
look, when I when I heard about this movie being in the top ten, and when I realized it was Vince Vaughn, I was kind of like preparing myself for the worst because the last time people told me to take Vince Vaughn seriously in a dramatic role, it was True Detective, True Detective season two. Season two. I mean, to be fair, that was Vince Vaughn telling you to take Vince Vaughn seriously. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't Vince, Vince Vaughn. It was the people behind True Detective. True. Me, okay. You know, yeah. it was Nick Nick Pizzolazzo. Pizzolato. Yeah. Pizzolato. Yeah. Telling me, oh, you know, Vin, he is. This is the Vonnaissance. <laughs> we did it with McConaughey. We could do it with Vaughn too. That was that was not the case, ladies nope. and gentlemen. Nope. Um, but no, I mean, look, he has like one. It's a it's an it's an amazing physical performance. I'll say that not just in terms of bulking up and becoming stronger, but actually using his physicality on screen um, worked that really well. But also, just like there's so much that's just him. You know, a lot of this takes place like sort of in solitary and it's it's sort of just him on screen. It's sort of the same thing that we were that we were talking about with Ryan Reynolds and Buried. You know, it's like you have so much time with him that any insincerity will will be picked up like that. And it's it's a really solid performance all throughout in, a you know, dramatic in a dramatic role, which he has not shown me to be capable of before this. So. Uh, I think my pick might still be still be Vince Vaughn. I just want to know. I just want you to know I'm a little offended because um, Dodgeball is the most incredibly well acted comedy of the last 25 years, and the fact that you would dare call Vince Vaughn a an unimpressive actor, James, is quite frankly offensive to me. Frankly, I mean, average Joe's James. Come He's on. kind of an average Joe actor. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, really, it was the perfect role for him. Is he a Nazi in this? No, no, he's not. No, okay. No. I don't, I'm being very judgmental. I just like saw pictures. I of think him. he curb stomps a Nazi at one point. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. Sorry, I was just like it. it I was like, it looks like he's playing a skinhead. But, yeah, no, yeah. it does. So, call it a very split pick for the Punch Drunk Love Award. Almost went to Adam Sandler. The envelope actually read Vince Vaughn, and Mike says Robert Pattinson. We so told you this better, show was going to be awesome. So better give it to Moonlight. So better give it to Moonlight. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm holding firm. I mean, obviously, why would I change my opinion for a movie I haven't seen? I'm sure it's great, though. Oh, I, yeah, of course. <laughs> so obviously yeah i'm holding firm my big actually james you're right <laughs> that's what i'm going to edit oh. in to what you what you just said <laughs> well mike thanks you haven't even seen the movie that's how good of a critic i am <laughs> it's like well uh james you made such a great argument i uh i have no choice but to agree with you you know what's crazy i just want to point something out on critics top 10 this is totally random but you know twin peaks is down at 31 which is fine it's a it's it's a TV show, so it's not going to qualify for a lot of critics' lists. Uh-huh. Um, but what's amazing is it is the top spot on over half of the lists it's featured on. That's true. That's just bananas. <laughs> B-A-N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> I just, in terms of sheer proportion, I think that's I think that's the most. Yeah, I mean, look, Get Out is on 532 lists and only 82 top spots. Weak. Lady Bird, four hundred forty-five, only fifty-two top spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's you're, then proportionally, you might be right about that. 
Uh, all right, well, on to the big three. These are, you know, the overarching awards. Let's start first Ugh. with the one I have a pretty good idea, actually. The Mike or James Award for Best Comedy or Horror Film. A nice little apples to oranges award um, where we decide which of our favorite genres won the year. That's to say Mike's comedy and my horror. Whether or not they're our favorite is probably up for discussion. But hey, they're the ones we're, we're most known for lauding. Exactly. Because <laughs> um, horror is scary. Scares Comedy me. movies suck. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> and so do horror movies. <laughs> uh, we we take what we can get. Actually, it was a pretty good year for comedy. It was yeah. It was a better year for comedy than it was for horror. I mean, did you see Dunkirk? That was hilarious. <laughs> Probably the French guy drowned for trying to help everybody. <laughs> Remember when the oil slick caught fire and everyone in <laughs> the water started burning? You remember, you remember when Tom Hardy gave that zinger? I'm on him. <laughs> My favorite speech from the movie. Oh, wait, that's not it. Oh, no, no, no. By the way, I'm glad... Okay, honestly, I'm glad that Christopher Nolan has since confirmed that my hearing is not fucked up. Um, not personally. He didn't, like, come up to me and go, Hey, Mike, your hearing's fine. Which <laughs> would have been pretty cool. But he basically said that he intentionally made the sound design in Dunkirk really disorienting and hard to hear. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just want to make, I'm like, okay, good, because I had a really fucking hard time <laughs> understanding. And obviously, I'm like, part of it is the accent, definitely. But uh, I just, <laughs> that movie made me insecure in my own ability to hear dialogue. So, so here's a breakdown. I'll give you you give us a breakdown on comedy. I'll give you the breakdown on horror because horror movies this year came down to two and a half films. And that's say two really strong contenders and one film that was well good, not even close. Um, that's the two strong contenders were Get Out and It Comes at Night. Mm-hmm. Really solid horror movie choices that both came out this year to strong acclaim. One of them to much better awards in box office than the other. Um, and then the third was probably the only even serviceable um, uh, horror sequel of the year, and that's Cult of Chucky. Pretty good movie. <laughs> Pretty wow. Good movie. I did also have, have forced myself to sit through the uh, unholy trinity of Jeepers Creepers 3, Jigsaw, and Leatherface. And those all blew one big fat dick together. Um, oh, damn! Boy. Damn, did those suck? And you know what? Hey, Happy Death Day was pretty funny. I, I mean, good overall. I liked it. I actually, um, kinda, I, I did kind of want to see that. Uh, I mean, it, I, I felt like I would go in knowing what to expect. So, yeah. Um, so that, that's the breakdown on the horror. Those are the ones that qualify. Um, as you've already heard from my opinion on three of them, haven't have having a shot in hell. Um, I'm surprised you didn't mention it. I didn't mention it. You know, I really didn't mention it. I mean, I, don't I mean, know why? It might be a, it might be because it's a bit more it's a bit too much of a blockbuster, but I think it is and maybe it has more in common with like uh, an an R-rated Spielberg film than so, a really So here's the thing. Film. I mean, if it's I genre bends for sure. Yeah, if I were to mention Cult of Chucky, I should have mentioned it, and I'm sorry I didn't. The fact that I didn't, though, 
is probably a testament to how I feel about its propensity of winning. It's it's sort of it's not less of a horror movie and more of a a horror funhouse. Um, yeah. In that it doesn't I don't know, it doesn't uh, like string together a cohesive movie. It just like gives you one scare after another and has no appetite or no no taste for fatigue. Um, because seriously, I'm just like on autopilot, you know, partway through the movie, just like oh okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's fair enough. I, I think we kind of discussed it as kind of embodying two. Like, it, it seemed like a really engaging coming of age story that was hampered by needing to be a horror film. Yeah, and and, the, and it was really hurt by its reverence for the source material, and that it's like, oh well, I can't I can't cut out a character uh, or two, so let's and we and I have to give each each character their own little scary interaction with the clown again and again and again and it was recently pointed out to me how most how much sorry the (laughs) portion of their scares uh was recently revealed to be most mostly that cgi run-up of whatever the monster is you know like where it's it and the clown like running and shaking his head yeah yeah yeah. Uh, happens like so often in that movie (laughs) i don't know it's it's kind of curdled for me maybe too strong but it's definitely dropped down several pegs Um, remember that that scene in the dark knight where the joker is like his dogs are like sick in batman and uh he like you know jumps on top and he just goes that's how Pennywise gets you. That's how it gets you. <laughs> yeah. So that's the that's the. Well, hey, look, Gerald's game, also pretty good. Go on, go on to cool. comedy. Tell me what. The, how was how was comedy? Let's over to Mike with comedy. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. Well, hey, there's a strong contender right there. Don't Ragnarok. Why the fuck not? Yeah. That was damn funny. Um. Yeah, I was like, I, it's comedy's weird because, particularly with this last year, like if you wanted to bend the definition, how many films could you call comedies, and and have that be defensible? I mean, yeah, I mean, well, there there were a lot. <laughs> it, it's, the big, the big sick, Lady Bird, the Disaster Artist, probably three right there that are kind of like. Oh yeah, no, I mean like even. I'm saying like I I've, I saw people try to pull in like Spider-Man Homecoming is just like straight out and out comedy with uh, while being a superhero film on the side. Um, obviously, I'm not going to pull that. I just wanted to say that's kind of why comedy is a bit of a flexible genre because it's not really a genre. It's more like just a tone. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say the two big ones for me are, are uh, the big sick and ladybird. Um and even Ladybird is just as much a coming of age drama as it is a uh, a really funny movie. But I felt like the like Greta Gerwig's comedic writing was really the standout from the film, even more so than like, well, I mean, probably on par with like Laurie Metcalf's performance and Saoirse Ronan did great. Um, my pick would probably have to be The Big Sick. Um, 
which is kind of a boring and predictable choice, but like it was just more touching than I was at all prepared for. It was funnier than I was thinking because I, I was kind of a, preparing myself for a, a uh, Judd Apatow style comedy, I guess. So a bit looser, a bit more improv heavy. Um, and there was a naturalism to the interactions, but you could tell that there was a lot of thought and planning that went into a good chunk of the jokes, including our, our favorite line of the year. So yeah. Um, yeah, fuck it. I'll go. Yeah. I'll go with the big sick. Um, it's, it's, my only regret is that it's probably a bit too obvious of a choice, but, and you would put that over the horror films of the year that you've seen. Oh, um, that's part of it. That's true. Um, no, I'm going to go with it comes at night. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, um, Sorry, I thought uh, I my my understanding of the, the rules of these categories are really really dodgy. No, remember this is apples to oranges, man. <laughs> and which uh, one is better? <laughs> all right. Um, honestly, overall, it was a better year for comedy, but I just don't think that on a on a level of filmmaking and just pure visceral involvement in a film, anything can match. It comes at night for me. Um, yeah, I mean, a horror I film that frustrates agree. almost every step of the way, and I loved every moment of it. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, and I've been trying to think of reasons to not because I'm challenging myself essentially. And I, I almost think in comedy, I would actually pick Thor Ragnarok over Big Sick. I don't know; it was just like a wildly funny movie throughout, um, and, and with a with a style of comedy that toward which I really gravitate. Um, well, well, here's what I will say when I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, and that I, that I see happening more now is superhero. The super, we've talked about this too, uh, where, where superhero is less of a, a genre than it is a, like just kind of a, a narrative frame mm-hmm. and you can kind of project like, yeah, for all intents and purposes, Thor Ragnarok is a comedy. And in fact, it gets some jokes in that you could really only get in the context of something like the Marvel cinematic universe, mm-hmm. um, they wouldn't work anywhere else. And that's interesting. It's, it's a type of comedy that's exclusive to this genre. That kind of is a game. I mean, that's a game changer as much as anything else. Marvel's done. And, you know, recently um, I'm, I'm, I'm not just talking about Black Panther either. I, I feel like Marvel. <laughs> no, I was. I think Marvel's been doing a lot to to up its ante and challenge the superhero genre. Um, and yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think that's a completely respectable choice. To, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, and but I I think for the overall award, again, apples to oranges. I think I am going to go with Incomes a Night, like. It's a really, really, really good movie. I mean, there's there's so many things. We, we reviewed it, so we're not going to say anything that we haven't already said. But damn. I mean, if you talk about, like, technical prowess, the cinematography is awesome. And it's a nice little, like, 
you know, almost chamber piece. Um, and then Joel Edgerton gives, you know, a, cl- a classic casual uh, Joel Edgerton performance. And, you know, especially with these more unknown actors, too, that really jump off the screen. And honestly, I probably didn't did an injustice by not throwing this in there for the Turkey Baster Award um, with the scene with the gas mask. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a really good scene. Ah, <laughs> uh, there are so many, though. The, the entire. I mean, the the sort of the sun's sort of coming of age puberty horror nightmares as, uh, as well like the hell the scene where i i kind of in my head i call it the last of us scene even though there's really like it's no more the last of us than anything else but where they're driving through the woods and they run across a uh oh yeah the group, uh, uh, well, uh, a, a man a duo who the uh the man who's with joe Edgerton may or may not know mm-hmm. and we never really get the answer to that i mean the it's funny because the, the things in this film that frustrated a lot of critics who I respect, those are the things that made that world feel so much more big and dangerous and threatening and scary to me. Um, and I don't know. I mean, honestly, if I'm thinking of a film that scared me, this, I mean, this is a truly, to me, like a, a deeply psychologically terrifying horror movie. <laughs> Because it's you don't really get the sense of any so there's no personification of obviously you know there's been a lot of discussion like yeah the it is paranoia it's fear it's the it's the self it's the it's the mistrust among a group that tears it apart and causes people to to turn on each other um, and that's all well and good but like there's something pervasive that it, it's not given manifestation there's not a a killer or a group of zombies or anything tangible. It's just like this pervading dread. And it's kind of why, like I find the shining scary. It's it, well, yeah. And that's a great it, movie to compare it to. It, it's you know, nothing it's, you can. Yeah. There's nothing you can point to and say, that's the monster, but it's just, I, I don't even think there's any like lazy. I don't think there are any lazy jumps or anything like that. Um, any like cheap scares that they try and get over on the audience. I, I don't recall. Mind you, it's been several months since I've seen this. Um, yeah. No, I no, mean, it's, even it's most like, I don't know, jumpy moments aren't accompanied with the usual, with, with the, you know, the sound guy falling on his board or anything like that. You know, that that's still what I, I think is going to plague um, a quiet place. Oh, yeah, based on yeah. based based on the trailer, I'm just saying uh, I could be dead wrong in the final product. I hope I am. But yeah, and you know, after having watched the trailer again, you know, I kind of noticed those a bit more. So I'm ho- I'm hoping that that's not the case because it's a really interesting concept. Totally, that could yeah. really play out well. So yeah, agreed. Um, so yeah, no, I'll uh, yeah, I think we're both on board with uh, comes at night for this category for the, for the Micro James Award. Sorry, Big Sick. You're great, though. You're hilarious. Great. Hey, and sorry, Thor Ragnarok. You're awesome. Yeah. Um, and now we get to our best director award, the Captain of the Ship Award, the best film without a strong director. I think there's a lot of good, um, a lot of good candidates for this. You know, uh, Phantom Thread, Molly's Game, uh, uh, the Florida Project. You know, The Shape of Water. Just a lot of movies that you know don't really need a director. It's, it's 
You're fucking joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm joking. All of those have very okay. strong directorial presences. I mean, and, and I also want to make clear, I think, um, uh, I think that when we when we're saying this too, it doesn't necessarily have. To, I think we're looking for a film without sort of any kind of auteur. Yeah, any singular artistic driving force. Right. So, like for example, uh, we we threw out the idea of um, the big sick for this. Which is directed by who the fuck? Michael some, Showalter, I believe. Some guy, yeah. Some, some guy. They gave it to some they, guy. They took, they t- <laughs> Sorry, one of my favorite red letter media quotes. Yeah. Like, they took this big mega. They're referring to the Last Jedi. Uh, this big multi billion dollar movie, and they gave it to some guy. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's Ryan Johnson, some guy. But yeah, you know, it's yeah, yeah. the big but, sick, directed by some guy, right? I, honestly, I think that was the credit in the movie. So, some guy directed some this. Guy. Um, but it's 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 Kumal, uh, it's Kumal Nijani's movie. Yeah, and, and Emily Gordon. Yeah, but you know, and, 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 yeah, yeah, it's their life. It's his comedic style. It's you know, it's his life. It's his movie. It's you know. That, that's what you get out of it. And also, you know, we talked about we talked about like Ladybird, like, you know, how we didn't feel like the direction was particularly very strong and where it was strong. It was actually kind of a misstep, you know, in terms of like things like, you know, Sacramento and everything. This all the emphasis on that that didn't really have a good payoff. Um, but that said, it's, it's undoubtedly it, Greta Gerwig's movie. No one could have made this movie besides Greta Gerwig. Um, so. So those wouldn't actually be good uh, picks for this category. Yeah. So we had to throw those out. And I'm not going to lie. I actually am having – I, I had some trouble with this one. It's it's hard because so many of our like our, – so many of our great picks for the year have really strong directorial presence, like all the ones I, I jokingly mentioned. And even like, you know, like Thor Ragnarok. That's a, that's a Taika Waititi movie. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And you can tell like – you can't even really necessarily rely on like the big studio, you know, machine to kind of rough out the edges and make your favorite directors unrecognizable. Like eh, it's not, not, not the case here. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, from start to finish on the year, you know, like first movie I saw this year was split. Tell me that's not an M night Shyamalan movie. You know? Oh my God. And then the last How- movie I've seen thus far is fan of thread. <laughs> yep. Um, so, uh, I want to throw out maybe a couple that I'm kind of on the fence about, and then I'll probably get to the one that I'm still pretty, pretty solid. Um, so one of them I want to throw out as, is Logan. Okay. All right. So, and, you know, I'm, of course I'm, I'm hesitant because you could one could make the argument that Hugh Jackman is to Logan what Ryan Reynolds was to Deadpool. Yeah, and that's a hard hard uh, argument to go up against. There's also the fact that James Mangold kind of has a pedigree with like uh, with X Men films. It's it's a bit of a complicated history, but he's he's been involved in the franchise before, and I think you know. There are similarities you can draw with like the Wolverine. Um, I, I think. 
I think most people are trying to forget uh, that <laughs> he's he, a part of the franchise. That yeah. he's a part of the franchise. But yeah, it's uh, it's not like he was a nobody. And I think there are similarities you can draw, but also it's not like I can tell you what makes a James Mangold movie. <laughs> no, not not even a little bit. Uh, did did uh, you have anything for the category? Um, it's funny because I was. Oh, sorry. Of... The other one I had in mind was I Tanya. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I actually had I I had been. No, I hadn't. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, please. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, with I, Tanya, it's sort of a movie that I feel like the direction kind of, I don't know that it disappears, but it, it, it feels like it does because it's so kind of mundane. I mean, they, they sort of film it um, almost in like a, like a documentary-esque where there's like interviews with the you know the actors playing the characters but at a later date and then like you know cut together with you know the actual dramatic retellings um and it just sort of seems like i don't care (laughs) so but overall it was a great movie with solid performances and i think that the the artists as a whole come together to make something rather than, you know, one person really shining. So I think that's a that's a really solid um a really solid choice. So I didn't know if you had those are, that was the other one that I was going to talk about. So I didn't know if you had any um that you wanted to bring to the table. The problem is with this year a lot of the uh, more independent movies that I really gravitated towards and loved were coming from very pronounced artists. Yeah. Um, and you could, you could a lot of times like Guillermo or David Lynch or you know even PTA, you could pick them out of a barrel. And PTA is like not someone who's really defined themselves with any one style, but he's kind of gotten this. He's a he's evolved to where like he exercises a more subtle hand that is still really recognizable when you've seen enough of his films. And so, yeah, I don't know. This was a really good year for auteurism to me. And I'm, I'm hesitant to fall back on, like, just mainstream fare. But I kind of feel like I have to. <laughs> like, I don't want to just, like, name, like... Oh, like honestly, Logan was one of my top picks, as was, you know, something like, uh, like Wonder Woman too. Like I, I can't. Spider Man Homecoming for that. Spider Man yeah. Homecoming. Like, they're films by directors who have a history, but don't really, you know, haven't really defined themselves strongly in, in the cinephilic. Well, even circles. if they have, that that didn't come across. On yeah, like I, I, I would, I, I could never tell you that the same person who directed Wonder Woman directed Monster. Like I, I no, <laughs> right? Um, so same great director, mind you, but still, yeah, same great director, but you know, just not anything that I can really define. But that said, though, like I can't. I, I so. 
I'm gonna suck. This is gonna be my worst category this time because I, I honestly have nothing to put forward besides, you know, all the the wonderfully, wonderfully competently made superhero films I saw this year, um, <laughs> that are really. And I mean, even then, with the uh, with with Thor and uh, oh sorry, we can't even put Thor because Taika Waititi is all over that. But yeah, he is. Uh, it, with like Spider Man, um, like. Even even if you you know putting forward a, a Marvel film like Kevin Fee Kevin Feige whatever the he, I mean basically the um basically the David Selznick of the Marvel Studios like when a director is not the most vocal not the most visible influence on a Marvel movie he is. So even then, like there's there's a well, and that brings up another another thing too. Like another one I thought to put forth to this is is Coco. Yeah, I but just, oh yeah, isn't isn't that like a Pixar movie more than anything else? Right. Yeah, the reason I didn't put Coco is because unless you're talking about some crazy talented animator, like. Like Pete Doctor, Brad Bird. There isn't, there aren't really many times you're going to get distinctive voices in animation. Obviously, that's not always true. Miyazaki, um, you know, the uh, the guy that made your name, whose 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 name I'm forgetting, but who has a big you wrote on your hand, Mike. I'm sorry, but who has a big following among anime fans, like like. There are exa- examples of auteurs in animation, but I just – they're not common. And so I just felt like Coco – I don't know. I mean if that if that's valid, that would probably be my choice is Coco. Well, and, and it probably would be, but as – you know, the same way you're like, you know, Kev, if, if it's not – if it's if it's not – it's Kevin Feige, if not anything else. You know, I'm like, what – at what point does a studio, even even going well, even further, become its own distinctive driving force behind a movie? Yeah, it's more more complicated than I probably anticipated for this. Uh, I for know this that's award. why I'm having. But hey, I'll having also it. let you off the hook because my pick for the award is War for the Planet of the Apes, which is mm. a blockbuster. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't have a super you know un- underseen interesting pick for this. I just think War for the Planet of the Apes is really, really good, and it's not really good for any one particular reason or any one particular artist. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I will. I, I will say this to um, to that effect. Um, one, Pixar, I think, is heterogeneous enough where, it, like, even more so than like the Marvel movies, where you know, every film really kind of is given its own chance to define itself. And they're not really tied together by much other than, you know, general vague principles of, of telling a satisfying story and a love of imagination and almost like a childlike approach to lofty themes like emotions and family and history and, and, you know, art. So I don't know. I think that the strings tying Pixar together are just those of sheer competence more than anything. And, and not- <laughs> so I think, you know, I think that's valid. Also, Coke, 
one thing I will defend Coco for in, in this regard is it does seem like it comes very much from an individual's experiences. And obviously that's not, I mean, this was a huge collaborative film. It's not like any one person can be solely attributed uh, as the creator of Coco, uh, even the, the sole director, Lee Unrich. Um, you know, this is, this is, this is a collaborative effort through and through. This is not a, a one man uh, or woman project mm-hmm. clearly, but it also doesn't, it feels strangely personal for a film that's that collaborative. That's true. It, it feels like it could have come from a person's family story, like that they could be telling the story of their own family. And obviously it's more complicated than that, but I think it's kind of an interesting demonstration of how those, like that multitude of voices and artists and inputs and perspectives can come together into something that doesn't feel like a committee made it. You know, so. All right, all right, fuck it. Coco's eligible, and it wins. Coco wins. Coco wins a Captain of the Ship Award. Beautiful. I'm Perfect. convinced, and yeah, I mean, I wanted to be convinced, so. <laughs> we had to kind of find our way there. I, I did. I had to find my way there because I didn't. I had no idea, and I, I didn't really want to pick a. It, I, I didn't really want to pick Wonder Woman, to be honest. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah i don't know it's i'm i'm happy with this choice and this was the awards the the uh the award category i was most anxious about so glad we got that out of the way (sighs) well um that brings us to to the 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 big show yeah the the tour de force the I don't fucking know. Peace de resistance. Peace de resistance, yeah. Um, the Oscars are bullshit award. Yeah. Best film that would never, ever, ever be nominated for best picture. Yep. Yep. And it's funny because you would, I feel like I would normally put a movie like It Comes at Night, like very firmly in this category. But now like the, the door for horror has been kicked down, man. And like, I know this is like, esoteric indie horror which is still probably in that category but i'm, I'm more skeptical about it um, oh you are because my i i was actually uh, really orbiting around it comes at night for this category yeah well i mean look I, we could we could definitely make the case for that um but as i said now i'm just less convinced that that's the case that that it, it would never be nominated um Sorry, I briefly no, distracted there. Um, I think others are really any strong any strong documentary movie that you may have seen this year because documentaries like never get nominated. Oh God, I mean documentaries. Um, any animation from not America. Mm-hmm. Foreign, uh, yeah, foreign just, films. Just get out of the. Large. Yeah, I mean, unless you're Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is made for a Western audience who's never heard of Wuxia before. I love Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but that film was made. 
to win awards in to America. Int- well, to intro and to like, it is a film that is okay to watch if you've never heard of Wuxia before. Yeah, it's a it's a Wuxia film, but it is receptive to an audience who doesn't know what Wuxia it's is. Baby's first Wuxia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. That's that, that's what I was searching for. There you go. So. You said you were gravitating around It Comes at Night. Did you have anything else that you were thinking of really hard for this? I have one that is my my pick, but it's also a complete cheat. Oh, okay, because I have one that is my pick, and I don't think it's a cheat, but go ahead. Uh, it's a cheat because for two reasons. Um, one is that I said I would not put it on lists this year. Oh. I lied. <laughs> putting it on this one and it's not really a list it's just a fake awards sure, show sure. this is real mike two, this is real. two it would not only never be nominated for an oscar because of its content or its uh presentation it would never be nominated for an oscar because it would never be eligible for an oscar oh because it's a TV show. Oh, and, okay. And Twin Peaks The Return. Here's the thing. Let me preface it with this. Obviously, there's the technicality. Well, of course it would never be nominated for Best Picture. It wouldn't be eligible. That's not why I'm putting it here. It's not why I'm, I'm selecting this. Yeah. Mind you, this is deemed... Uh, if, if this is deemed uh, disqualified by the, the panel of judges, which is you, then then my then my choice is it comes at night. Um, but I'm picking Twin Peaks: The Return because even if this were eligible as an 18 hour long movie, which it is, it was it was written as a long 18-hour movie and shot as a long 18-hour long movie and presented on Showtime and just cut up into hour-long slots. Mm-hmm. But if it was, it's such a labyrinthine, confusing, frustrating, beautiful, glorious, incomprehensible masterpiece of of postmodern deconstruction of the mysteries genre um a wonderful portrait of david lynch's views on american innocence and and its death in the latter 20th century um a hilarious comedy about a couple of las vegas gangsters a beautiful return to a quiet northwestern town that was beloved on tv in the 90s and ending with what I can only describe as an hour-long allusion to Vertigo, huh. um, they wouldn't know what to do with this. They wouldn't be able to make heads or tails of this, and I guarantee you they would hate it. It's got a sequence in episode eight, um, which is my favorite episode of the season because it is also far and away the weirdest and least comprehensible. That is, it's basically David Lynch's Stargate from 2000 you know the stargate sequence at the end of 2001 a space odyssey yeah infamous one 
where all uh, comprehensibility and logic goes out the door. David Lynch has his own version of that. It's kind of a combination of that and Terrence Malick's creation of the universe in Tree of Life. And it is just one of the most stunning things I've ever seen on film. And in ways I can't really articulate because it doesn't, it defies sense or logic. It, I don't, I don't literally know what's happening, but the emotional, you know what to feel in, in those moments. So that's somehow more important. Um, it's just, it's so elusive and baffling and, and beautiful. Um, that you really, I, I really got the sense like I'm watching something special and momentous. Um, and considering that this very well could be David Lynch's last piece of long form cinematic art and that he's our, you know, one of our most respected living filmmakers, um, that he was trying something this ambitious, um, that is this frustrating. Like I, I couldn't help myself. I had to, I had to single this one out because even if you do treat it as a completely eligible film, that would be totally at home theoretically in, in the best picture category. This is, this is the kind of film that the Academy ignores the year it comes out and that gets retrospectives written about it 50 years later. (laughs) Okay. All right. You know, hey, look, I'm not going to deem it ineligible. I'm not, I don't like small boxes. So um, I, I will say, though, one, I haven't seen it. I will say, though, that my choice wouldn't be It Comes at Night. Not necessarily, yeah. because, I like, not necessarily because, because I like my actual choice better than It Comes at Night overall. But I think it fits the bill more. Okay. And I think my solid choice for the Oscars are Bullshit Award goes to your name. <laughs> Oh, one phenomenal, phenomenal great, movie. Great choice. That's a I got like an I got like an eighty dollar box set of it. It's uh-huh. it's wonderful for all the reasons we described in our review and then some. Um, but if I were to if I were to like if I were to think about this in the long term, like way down the line, where you know, assuming the Oscars continue to improve and, you know, include all these other films that they haven't been thinking about, you know, uh, I think that, that, uh, it comes at night, gets a nomination in like a hundred years and your name in like a thousand. (laughs) They will, they will, whatever they, whatever they can do to ignore Japanimation. Yeah, well, and which the, is how they will describe it, I guarantee. You. Like, okay, I mean, think about it. Like, this is one of the one of the best movies of the year, and not nowhere for for best animated, nowhere for best foreign film. Like, not even close. Like, no one even talked about it. Like, nope. who cares? You know, that was that was sort of like the reaction for it. Um, and yes, it comes at night is constrained by its genre. It's a horror movie. And but, but you know horror movies have won before and they might win again you know so it's like they've they've had their they've had their sort of day I think that your name will that and the type of movie that your name is would never would never even sniff a a, a best picture nomination so 
that's why I say the Oscars of Bullshit Award goes to your name for me. And, you know, I like that you you went to place like, like, uh, um, like Twin Peaks. Like Twin Peaks. And look, I like that you went to place like Twin Peaks for the reasons you described. And if you were just say, yeah, because it's not, it's not eligible and that's bullshit, that makes sense, man. You know, as I said, I'm not a fan of small boxes, as much, especially with people saying, like, oh, it's not a, that's not a horror movie. It's like, okay, what do you, what do you want? Yeah. Well, the thing what do you is, want horror movies to be. The thing is, I, I actually am, I've gotten more sympathetic to, the idea of treating TV differently than film, if for no other reason than that, you know, TV is usually a very different process with a showrunner and a team of writers kind of being at the head of mm-hmm. storytelling and directors kind of being brought in um, almost as, you know, placeholders, pe- sort of placeholders, pe- people, cardboard to, cutouts. people to, people to, you know, use the camera competently and then to, to go well, like uh, subservient. Isn't there a pejorative the out there somewhere that directors just like hang lights? I can't remember who said that, but I've heard that before. I, I have not heard that. That's really insulting. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, with TV, particularly like, you know, longer form, you know, seasonal TV, you, you, there is a sense of the directors being kind of a subjugate, you know, su- subjected to the whims of the showrunners and the writers. And that's kind of the power dynamic going on, playing out there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different. And so I, I completely understand, uh, you know, uh, subjecting it to a different kind of analysis and, than your standard narrative film. But the, the, you get to a point where a TV show it, it, you know, depending on how it's made, is really just a a film that was too long to release in its entirety in theaters, and so it was chopped up and released episodically on TV. Right, um, right. So that's the thing. The, true that's, detective it comes down to that. Like that. Go on. Oh, I just said True Detective was like that. Um, OJ Made in America. OJ Made in America. Uh, Twin Peaks. Uh, Band of Brothers, uh, I believe, was all. Nah, actually, no, I don't think they shot. I don't think they. So, they so here's where it comes down to. It comes down to that word, word episodic. In my mind, if a TV show is episodic, it is a TV show. However, just because it has episodes, doesn't mean it is a TV show. Right. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, this is True Detective episode two. It's like, oh, right there, it's an episode. That's a TV show. It's like, no. It's yeah. more like part two. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just, I do think it's interesting. We're getting to that point. And, and mind you, to get to that point now, we still need someone like David Lynch to be helming the series. Um, but we're getting to that point where film critics are, uh, are even saying like, yeah, no, we're, we're not, uh, uh, or we're not going to disregard this just because it's, you know, because it aired on TV primarily. We're going to rank this in our lists. We're go- it, it made Sight and Sounds uh, top ten list and number two. Uh, it topped Kaiju Cinemas. It was their number one film of the year. So in the international film community, this is being treated as a film. So I feel. You know, I, I'm going to hold to it. It's not going to be on my list. Um, but I do think that it's... There's no reason why 
we shouldn't be putting it in the same conversation as, you know, any other film, you know, why it shouldn't be in conversation with, with get out and call me by your name and Florida project and every other film that we're talking about, uh, being snubbed or, um, you know, underrepresented at the Oscars. So yeah, that's my pick. Cool. Well, I mean, that, that, and that's a split decision, but Hey, we're there. Um, <laughs> yep. uh, that's, that's the first, the first annual Mike and James awards in the books. We and did. man, next year, I promise to think about being more prepared for it. Uh, I t- we will give it some serious, serious thought <laughs> as we don't, as we continue to not prepare. Yes. But we will be like, man, we really should prepare for oh, this. Oh boy. Yeah. This sandwich is good. I'm going to be eating a sandwich while we're talking about this. So <laughs> yeah. Um, and Next week will be the episode, the real episode. Oh, God. I know. And you want to talk about being unprepared for this. I have no fucking idea what I'm going to do for our top 10. Our top 10 list, our top 10 films of 2017, just in time to watch some some other movie win Best Picture. (laughs) James, are we going to die? Do you want to die? Do you want to die? Oh no, um, oh, Samuel, you little piece of shit. So yeah, we didn't we didn't do our own little you know who will win, who should win, or anything like that. And no, because it's boring. And okay, fine. But we are gonna uh, do our list. Yeah, we'll do. We our are list. gonna do our list. By, our by the way, spoiler alert. All right, Shape of Water is gonna win picture and director. Gary Oldman's going to win actor. Um, uh, uh, Francis McDormand's going to win actress. Uh, Get Out's going to win original screenplay. And Calling By Your Name is going to win adapted screenplay. There you go. There's your predictions. Done. It's over. Done. Yep. Cool. No, seriously, we'll, go, we'll, we'll play this back after the ceremony. See how accurate it is. That's, <laughs> that's, that's how interesting Oscar predictions are. They're so interesting. No, it's... It's not cool. Um, but our top 10 lists are going to be awesome, I think, because uh, I still don't know what I'm going to put. I feel like last last year, all, all movies that were on my top 10 list at one point, I had put at number one. So, mm-hmm. bro, I don't, I don't know. Bro, I don't know. <laughs> James, I, I panicked and I just put the emoji movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking dead to me. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Sorry, I know that meme... Was old about ten minutes after it was invented, but yeah. <laughs> by the, by meme, I just mean the emoji movie and shitting on it. Hey, I don't care. I want to. I'm I'm angry that that movie exists. So, do you hear the story about how in Saudi Arabia they um, allowed movies to be shown for the first time publicly and in, in forever? And uh, the first film they showed at a multiplex was a. Uh, or not multiplex, but at a theater was the Emoji Movie. No, no, and then they then they revoked that. And privilege. They immediately, it's like by popular demand, we are rescinding our. <laughs> no one actually wants to see movies anymore. These are, think about it. All those people think that that's just what movies are. <laughs> oh God! And no, I mean it's just like it's. 
I also hate, mostly I hate how predatory the movie is. Like I have no, I, I haven't seen the movie. I really can't say anything of it qualitatively, but nothing, nothing gets me angrier more than just a movie that's, or just like, you know, corporations just targeting kids. I sound like a fucking hippie saying this, but God damn it. Uh, they're in our schools, man. They're in our water. And, uh, <laughs> but honestly, I've never heard a better case for, there's never been a better case for paranoid tinfoil hat hippie hysteria than, uh, than the emoji movie. It's just like kids should text more. I'm like, what the fuck? What? Just the dance fuck? and all your play just dance and all your problems will go away. Wow. Like God. And seriously, any future child I have will not be seeing this fucking swill. I am going to happen. There were a couple of like post-apocalyptic late stage capitalist moments that I experienced throughout 2017. This is up there along with, um, PepsiCo competing against itself during the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, and the repeal of net neutrality. <laughs> and the repeal of net neutrality and And know, the emoji movie. And the emoji movie. I mean it's really it's all just a sign that we don't deserve to be saved. Yeah. Alright, well I mean what kind of uh po- what kind of a post seventeen award <laughs> award show would we would we be if we didn't take a, just a little bit of time to shit on the emoji movie? How we much more? Beat one. How much more fatalistic would our show be is if instead of saying like you know oh yeah that's our show you can find us blah 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 we just ended it every single time with goodbye goodbye just <laughs> well let's not do that you can find me on Twitter at Jam Cozy you can find also Flying Dad Bomb on um what's that Letterboxed Letterboxed um where I'm on a quest to review every movie I, I see for 2018. And I've just started because, um, fa- not Phantom Thread, uh, Black Panther was the first movie of 2018 I've seen. <laughs> nice. You uh, you can find me on Twitter at MichaelLyden892. And uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at uh, Director Lydon. It's the one with the dust on it. Yeah, it's the one with the, with the review of Logan. <laughs> Good review. <laughs> what you know what i i will review another movie it's not gonna be you know what it's gonna be hmm. it's gonna be the new mutants oh okay i honestly my my letterbox will be exclusively devoted to reviewing all new films in the x-men cinematic universe <laughs> okay cool uh yeah Uh, It was a great show this week. It's going to be a great show next week. And as always, thank you for listening. I almost hung up on you. Ah!